Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, Cancel Culture, Comedy, and Consequences. In our deep dive today, we'll have a look at the latest pop culture controversy triggered by Dave Chappelle's most recent stand-up comedy special, and the waves of simultaneous backlash and support it has generated from diametrically opposed perspectives. And encourage your cringe, ESPN suspends female sportscaster, California requires ethnic studies, and John Gruden resigns. Did a major media network remove a personality from their platforms purely for political commentary that runs counter to their own? Or have they bravely acted in the face of irresponsible speech and a lack of media training? Did the nation's most populous state act with leadership to introduce an innovative school curriculum highlighting the importance of ethnicity in American history? Or did they engage in a partisan exercise that excludes historical perspective and pits races against one another? And finally, does the resignation of a nationally renowned football coach for inappropriate emails deliver justice in a moment of racial calibration for a sports league serious about cleaning up its image? Or does it cancel and erase forever an otherwise accomplished employee over decades-old comments made in private? This and more this week on TDR. I can't do red eyes anymore. Really? Where's he out too much? I, I just can't travel like I used to. I I took a red eye um, out to see Jess in uh, in Ohio, and it was. I mean, I guess it's yeah. It's a it's a red eye. I had to, I flew to Charlotte and then from Charlotte to Columbus, <clears throat> and I mean, I was destroyed for like a day after that. And then yesterday, I came back. On because I was my flight was canceled, you know, like a lot of flights were in the last few days, mm-hmm. and I ended up taking the following day's flight, but like at six a.m. So I get up at like four forty-five, leave, you know, the apartment where we're at in Columbus at five a.m., get to the airport, and dude, right now, and I went to bed at like midnight, you know, so I woke up at two a.m. like in L.A. would have been two a.m. Mm-hmm. local time, right. went to bed at midnight in L.A. time. And today, the following day, I'm I'm just exhausted. It just sounds painful. I don't look right. I don't feel yeah, right. I don't I don't I don't love uh, red eyes either. Just not a fan. Well, but, but I don't but know, if, sleep, I don't know though, if, I, right? if I get that. Not not well. No. So I'm not. Uh, I have a little bit of a hard time uh, sleeping <clears> on a red eye. So I think that's part of it. You know. But you're not a good sleeper in general, though. I'm not. Yeah. No. No, I'm not. Well, I is used it, to be. Yeah. Is it like a is it a particular time of night that you wake up? Uh, kind of depends a little bit. Uh, but um, but yeah, usually at that three a.m. ish mm-hmm. kind of time. That's the that's the hour. The witching hour. It is three a.m. Um, 
yeah, that sometimes that happens where I just wake up and you know. Sometimes I'm able to go back to sleep right away, but other times it just takes a while. Do you like and it happens way too many times where it just takes a while? You read or what do you do? Sometimes I wait it out. Sometimes um, I haven't really tried too many things to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I probably need to try more things. I, I also had, I also <clears> have a really <throat> bad habit of like looking at my phone before I go to bed. That's, That's terrible, terrible habit. Terrible. It's awful. Habit. It's a terrible habit. Yeah, you sleep with it next to you. Yeah. Another, yeah, another terrible habit. Put that somewhere like farther away in the room. Yeah, I think that's that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. I went through a really bad period of time. I think you've, mm-hmm. I've talked to you about this with really really bad insomnia mm-hmm. for like months and months and months. And I, I told you about this, right? I, yeah, I think you have. <clears throat> this is back in the day, but there came a point where I got it was like there no Univision years. Yeah, mm-hmm. where I got really pragmatic about it, and I was thinking I, I, I prag, pragmatic in the sense that I I wasn't able to sleep, like just was not. You know, I'd end up falling asleep like at one in the afternoon to like four in the afternoon. It'd be like at like three oh, hours wow. a day. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And like all night I wouldn't sleep. Um, but I got to a point where I was really pragmatic and I said, if everybody's going to lay down and close their eyes, at least I'll do that and just rest. Mm-hmm. I'll just be bored, right. but my body will be still. And I became really pragmatic about it. And it was uh-huh. like at, at some point when I did that, like I started to go back to normal eventually. But I was, I'd say, really bad insomnia for maybe six to nine months. I mean, it was really, really what, bad. What it almost went crazy. Uh, what ultimately changed it? Um, you, was there anything in particular that helped? I mean, look, you know, for me, there's always a faith dimension to things. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this was definitely a, one of those things that is like a dark night of the soul kind of thing where you, there's a lot of growth that's happening. You just don't realize it until you're looking at it in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was surrender. You know what I mean? Surrender, like you know, not trying to control everything, mm-hmm. letting it go, realizing that I wasn't in charge of things. Um, right. That began to help. Like I would really, I'd literally go for runs. And you know me, I hate to run, even though I do it begrudgingly. But I used to go for runs and I would literally be running for like a mile, two miles and just repeating over and over again, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. Because like it literally took that kind of reprogramming for me to like realize that it wasn't me that was in the driver's seat controlling things. Mm -hmm. Because when you have that sense of control and then suddenly things aren't going the way you imagine, then it, it can get pretty crisis mode. At least it was for me. Yeah, and I can see that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what what it is. I, I've, I've never been a big meditator. Yeah. Um. So I think that I need to do maybe some of that. Mm-hmm. I also kind of go back and forth. Sometimes I do a better job of reading at night. That kind of helps. Reading does tire, like literally puts me right to sleep. Something happens. It's like working out your eyes or it lulls. It, right. there, there's something that happens physically to me. I love to read. But I can't read if I'm laying in bed. I'll go to sleep like yeah. in, after two or three pages. My issue with it is that if I do it too late, it uh, I don't like falling asleep when I'm reading because I'm actually <laughs> I want to remember what I'm reading. So mm-hmm. that's <laughs> right. so I actually don't like it. Right. Uh, so I do it earlier if I can. You know. I know we're going to talk about um, Chappelle and all mm-hmm. the stuff going on with him, but just a carryover subject from last week's show with Angela. We talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've mentioned it before about Facebook kind of being like electricity. I found a really good piece of evidence in support of that thesis today. Okay. And actually two pieces of evidence. Um, Despite all of the recent issues that they've had, right, the Mm -hmm. congressional hearings, health issues, uh, bipartisan hatred and rancor, Right. All of these things, right? Everybody wanting to see in a very mm-hmm. twisted way of right. schadenfreude. They want to see them fall. Despite all that, mm-hmm. usage of Facebook completely unaffected. 
I think that's an argument towards the idea of electricity. No change whatsoever in utilization or usage of it at all. And here's the other one. No change in advertising either. In fact, there's an article on Adweek saying that despite all the problem, advertisers still stick with Facebook. So like as an argument to the fact that it's it's reached a degree of stasis where like mm-hmm. you, it, you can't budget, I think those two are pretty interesting uh, I facts. think those are interesting stats. I'm, I don't follow how that's like electricity. Well, because electricity is something that it's everywhere and it's hard to impact, right? It's just part of our life. It's not something that responds to the vagaries and ups and downs of other cultural things. And what I'm saying is any other business, you know, name it, that has a degree of scandal and attention that Facebook has had, you would think there'd be some impact in its usage, in its consumer customer base. Right. People, you know, people would stop using it, boycotts, who knows? None, like literally no change to its, u- to its yeah. use. And the other one about its, its chief source of revenue, no change in terms of the people that are giving it money. But doesn't that more speak to how people like to virtual signal about the things that they're angry about that doesn't actually tie to what they actually do? I think they're, they're related, but they're separate. I think that that's... See what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I think there's definitely a factor there, at least, right? Of people yeah. that will sit there and complain <laughs> and do all this. But when it comes down to it, They'll still want to use it. My argument has just simply been that th- that these are different companies, right? And the fact that they can withstand the kind of thing that would literally crater another type of company um, is, to, to my mind, I don't know. Like, I would have expected, oh, there's going to be masses of people that are just like, I reject Facebook. Or advertisers going, I'm never going to give you money. And it's like, this is not happening. I just think it's more to do with what people say versus what people do. Yeah, but there's but, a there's a whole thing about like I, agree oh, with I don't like that Facebook makes me get angry about things, but I kind of like being able to look at those videos that make me a little bit angry and sharing that stuff. I just and re- reacting to it. I think like, it's like using the te- like, like I that's do the, I do, but I think it's like using the telephone. I guess is what I'm saying at this point. When I say electricity, I mean it's something like flipping a light switch and then somebody saying, "Well, like we're going to introduce a new way to turn lights on." It's like no, no, it's established. You ter- click this button and lights go on. Yeah. It's at that level of of integration into our lives, I think, yeah. or close to it. Yeah, the the usage is so ingrained. I think maybe the point you're trying to make that it doesn't get affected even by these external right. issues that are happening around the platform. So I, I agree with that. That was my one continuation on last week. So what's going on, my friend Dave Chappelle? Dave Chappelle, uh, who is a genius, Dave by Chappelle. the way, he is a comic Dave genius. Chappelle, uh, yeah, he is definitely a genius. I'm a huge. I will start with this. This is, uh, I feel like when this all kind of came up, we, we, I really did think we needed to, I wanted to be able to talk about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I needed to, but I wanted to talk about it. And I will start <clears throat> this whole thing by saying that I am a huge, huge fan of Dave Chappelle. That makes two like, of us. I've been a big fan of his for a very long time. I think when it comes to, not just as being a comedic genius, but I would say when it comes to storytelling, yeah. I don't think there's anyone that I could think of that is better at telling a story than Dave Chappelle. It's like transcended comedy to some extent. Yeah. It's right. almost not comedy. It's like comedy, not comedy in a way. Yeah, it's almost yeah. comedy, not comedy. The, the best example I could give of this was one of the specials of where he, and he starts it off in the most <clears throat> Dave Chappelle moment where he says like, he's just too good. He, like he literally says, I'm just too good. Yeah. He's like, what I do is I, I write punchlines and I put them in the bowl and then just pull one out. And then he goes through this thing where he says he pulls this, this, this uh, punchline out and the punchline says, and, and then I kicked her in the pussy, right? <laughs> And then he starts telling the story, uh-huh. and you're all into the story. And before you know it, he drops that punchline. And it was like, it's the most comedic genius moment yeah. that I've witnessed because he did exactly, like, he totally was going to do it. Like, it's like watching a football game, right? I'm just, just watching a game this, this weekend. 
went to go see the Chargers live. But like, they were watching like, the game this weekend. Yeah, the game, right? And they were like, it's like when you know what the game, what the play is going to be. He's telling you what the play is going to be. And you're still out. And you still like don't see it coming. Yeah. And I thought that was, that was great about it. I do want to issue a little bit of a disclaimer for this show today because um, we've got the Chappelle stuff and we also have the John Gruden story. And, you know, I, I want to be authentic and actually use the language that that is in these stories. Yeah. Um, but I do want to disclaim it. For anybody who, you know, who may be offended, be prepared to be offended because we're going to use some of the, we're going to actually use and address the terminology yeah. that's been used in these stories. So. I, I th- yeah, I think it is, yeah, essentially that's a good, it's a good, matter of fact, when we do the intro, it may be worthwhile even to say that there, mm-hmm. right? But, uh, yeah, and these stories, just some of the language being used, I think it's, it's important to be said because it kind of speaks to the impact of what's actually being, sure the, the sentiment is being <clears> communicated <throat> as part of this. But going back to Dave Chappelle, right? So he just released his last special on October 5th called, um, the Closer, right? So it's a new Netflix special. I like the name. Yeah, it's a, it's a great... And part of it, as he said, is that he basically is saying that he's not going to do another uh, stand-up special for a while, right? So I think that's why it's called The Closer, right? Um, now, just like his last few specials, Chappelle has once again gone into some hot water with the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community, right? Because some of the jokes he makes. But, but in this case, it is different. It's different in the case that the outrage has actually been much more and growing, Right now, this comes from some consumers, some celebrities, even employees. By the way, at the same time, this this special is doing extremely well on Netflix. Right, it's very well rated because it's like it comedy is, Squid Game. It's like you know, it's Dave Chappelle, right? Yeah. Now, shortly after it came out, employees started asking pointed questions about whether or not trans people were included in the decision to air the special, and where the company draws a line between commentary and transphobia. Right. Can I ask you a question on that? Mm-hmm. So. Pretend it's some other content. It's mm-hmm. nature series. It's a drama. Yep, it's a yep. Victorian epic, whatever. At what point does the administration of Netflix have any say in any of this stuff? Isn't that usually relegated to the kind of the creative part of Netflix doing business with the people who are actually developing the content? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think, like when I, think when when I hear like yeah. what part of the people are in the decision-making process, it's not like Netflix sits around in a room and goes, oh, we like this one, we don't. There's like departments they, they, that they, do they, that. Yeah, yeah, So I think there's two things here. Part of the question that they're asking, which maybe speaks <clears> to, and I think they're being very specific about terms of trans people, but, but let's go broader than that. Think about LGBTQ people. To what degree are any LGBTQ folks involved in the decision-making that are making decisions on what programming gets cleared or not within Netflix. I think that's actually more the question. So who's Be- greenlighting a who's deal? Who's greenlighting this, yeah. the deal? Because to your point, Netflix is not, is like, and nor I think anyone that thinks it should be this way is just don't understand the way these businesses work. Or these are not like group decisions about what gets cleared. Sure. Just, they're just not. Sure. Right? They go through all, they all go through the development process. Now in a case like, like Dave Chappelle, who has an output deal, which is what he signed a while back, they're working with him, but they're giving them tons of creative freedom. And mm-hmm. if it was a, a, a smaller, I know for a fact, by the way, for Netflix, that in cases where it's comedy for other smaller artists, they are very involved in the creative process. They're more specific Including about what they reviewing can do. and signing sure. off on jokes. I doubt that, that, well, I mean, that it, Dave Chappelle will allow anyone yeah. to look at his jokes prior to and tell them what he can or can't say. It stands to reason it. that the bigger that these stars get, and the larger that these deals get, the more latitude needs to be provided to those creators. They just do because creatively. otherwise they know that he could just go somewhere else. Somewhere right? else. And, and we know the power of Dave Chappelle who literally got Viacom, whatever it was, you know, 10, 15 years later, maybe more than that. I don't even know how much it was to redo his own deal as it relates to the Dave Chappelle show to give him IC royalties for a show that was legally done or where he had given the rights to Viacom 
as part of a deal with Comedy Central. But wasn't it Netflix that was actually showing the Dave Chappelle show and then he complained and then they took they it down? They were all showing it, right? They were all, it wasn't yeah. just Netflix. Netflix was the first to bring it down. Right. So Dave Chappelle gave Netflix a lot of credit for being the first to like bring it down. To say it, it upsets because, you, we're going to take it down. Because what happened, yeah, just we're, we're, we're mixing uh, stories, but it's okay. Like just really quick on that one, on the, on the Dave Chappelle show, is that what happened is that Viacom syndicated the, the show to multiple platforms after the fact, right? Mm. Like that happened last year, I think is what it was, right? And, you know, included Netflix. And, and what, what the, the way, for those that are not familiar, is that when these shows, after they're, you know, they've aired, et cetera, they go into syndication. And many times they'll get licensed to other places so that they can re, basically rebroadcast them. So it look, it, to me, it's probably a deal that they did across a bunch of different players because the Chappelle show was available a bunch of different places. It wasn't just, it wasn't just on Netflix, right? Yeah. Uh, and when that happened, basically Dave Chappelle was saying, you know, when I signed this deal, when I was 20, whatever. Yeah, I didn't this realize deal, what this thing could really, become. Exactly. I know what it was going to become, and, and I'm not getting a single cent from it. So he asked people to stop watching it, to force all these companies to bring it down, and to force Viacom to redo the deal. In a way, and it's kind of idealistic to even ask that question, but it's it, it super worked. super idealistic, right? And, and even how he positioned that he got screwed, no, you didn't. You had already done films at that point. You were in your late 20s. You were a star when you did that show. And you signed an actual agreement. Like, if you think about anyone else, we give Dishpa a lot of leeway here because he is who he is. But the reality is he didn't get screwed on this thing. Let's just be honest, right? He signed a deal. He didn't like it. And I get it, right? He became a big sensation after the fact. And he was able to get it all renegotiated, right? But yeah, so in this case, people were asking, like, and then that division between commentary and transphobia, right? Um, and then a Netflix trans employee, <clears throat> Tara Field... Uh, who was publicly publicly critical of the release by Netflix, and as she talked about it on, on, on Twitter, was suspended by the company. And it was Tara along with two other employees who actually tried to attend a director-level meeting. I think, well, I guess it was a Zoom meeting that they were invited to to basically protest. And that's that why was, they were suspended, though, to and be yeah, clear, Netflix right? Came out and, At least and that's what they said. That's what Netflix, the official company line wasn't their Netflix, opinion or whatever. That it was because yeah. of that. That it wasn't, they actually encouraged people's opinion, et cetera, right? That's what they said. That they suspended because of going, which I, I get that if someone just started bars into, um, you know, me, then they're not allowed to. But then on October 8th, Netflix C, uh, co-CEO Ted Sarandos finally responded to employees in an internal communication where he said, and there's this a number of things here, so we'll, we'll kind of parse that out as we, as we talk through it, right? The first thing you say, look, you should all be a, be aware that some talent may join third parties in asking us to remove the show in the coming days, which we're not going to do. First of all, I give them credit for like being really clear about yeah. what they're doing yeah. or not doing, right? And part of this is referencing Jacqueline Moore, who is a former showrunner for the show Dear White People, was one, one of the Netflix originals, who I think came out as being trans recently. I, don't, I forget when exactly that happened, and basically said that she she's not, not going to work with Netflix you know, to the degree that they are supporting like this kind of content, right? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Sarandos went on to say, Chappelle is one of the most popular stand-up comedians today, and we have a long-standing deal with him. His last special, Sticks and Stones, also controversial, is our most watched, stickiest, and most, most award-winning stand-up special to date, right? I mean, the fact that he's using the, that kind of rationale, though, right? So, I mean, it, it does to orient me, you to where he is, how he's approaching this, yeah, in a way. It, but it, it is, but to me, out of a whole comment, that's the one that I cringe on that comment. A little bit. Because you're, that's not what people are saying. People are saying that it doesn't right, do well. Right, Or that it's like, it's your point, it's like, it's like a lot of things get ratings. Right. Right? Is this the right thing to do? This is really offensive. Yeah, but very popular. But very popular. <laughs> but super offensive, but very popular, yeah, right? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. doing a stand-up special with Hitler may be popular, but maybe we don't want to do but that it's on, a bit right? of it. But it's a bit of an insight into the reality mm -hmm. of some of these decisions. Look, it your is. entire job being, is to drive engagement and to create good content. He's being transparent about this at least, right? Yeah. But I, I would, <laughs> if, if I could give any advice, be like, 
leave that one out. It's not really, for this group, it's not really what the, the intent mm. is. Now, what he does say is, he goes, goes on to say, as with the other talent, we work hard to support their creative freedom, even though this means there will always be content on Netflix some people believe is harmful, right? That seems more like, okay, I get it. So several of you have also asked whether we, where we draw the line on hate. We don't allow titles on Netflix that are designed to incite hate or violence, and we don't believe the closer crosses that line, right? So I recognize, however, that distinguishing between commentary and harm is hard, especially with stand-up comedy, which exists to push boundaries. Some people find the art of stand-up uh, to be mean-spirited, uh, but our members enjoy it. And it's an important part of our content offering. That's another good one. This like, yeah, but that's that's actually fair, right? Like the stand-up comedy, the nature of it is going to get some people offended. Not, that's, a, that's not the part I'm responding to. The idea of some people, you know, will find the art mean-spirited, but our members enjoy right, it. Right, right, yeah. Like replace, replace co- uh, stand-up with, you know, yeah. it, porn it's true, right. it, or, but it, yeah, but it's true. you know, yeah, people yeah, doing, yeah. what's that, the, that whole category of YouTube content where it's people just like, it, like gorging themselves on food. There's uh, a whole category yeah. of of Jap. It's like a Japanese thing. You know what I'm talking about? I no? know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, yeah, so no. it's like Pass. whatever. Replace comp stand up with that. You know, what I mean? our members like it. You right. know, there's a little sinister kind of twinge in that. Then but. he finished off, finished by saying, particularly in stand up comedy, artistic freedom is obviously a very different standard of speech than we allow internally, as the goals are different. Entertaining people versus maintaining a respectful, productive workplace. Right now. So there's a lot to 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 talk about that in terms of what he, what he said, right? Um, and there's a lot about specifically what Chappelle uh, said within within the special. Look, one of the things that came out uh, was especially that Chappelle within the within the, the special claimed to be Team Turf, right? Which is an acronym from Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminists, right? In there, he also defended J.K. Rowling, right, which is the author of Harry Potter, uh, and he also um, defended quite a bit the baby, right, who got canceled, basically, or at least in his word, he got canceled for his anti-gay comments, but didn't get canceled for shooting somebody in Walmart. Mm. But yeah, you kind of talk, which, by the way, it is true. I, I looked it up. I didn't know that was the case. Apparently, he someone he claimed someone was trying to rob him, and he killed a guy in Walmart. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually did that, but, you know, he didn't get canceled for that. that Nobody even one. heard of that one. I never heard of that, but that did happen. Yeah. Uh, so I looked it up. A lot to unpack on this one, Charlie. I, I don't well, know where you want to... We haven't even addressed the whole idea of cancel culture to begin with. Um, well, yeah, I guess there's... What, yeah, there's the cancel culture piece of it. What's your there's, thought? Let's let's start with the comedy piece of it. What's, yeah. your, what's your thought My on thought of, so comedy I'm a, as, a, as a medium or a uh, genre that has perhaps rights that other genres don't? So, yeah, that's actually a good way to frame this. Let's talk about comedy in general, and then let's yeah. talk about this special. Because I've, I've been really been giving this a lot of thought. I've actually had conversations uh, with, you know, with friends that are, you know, that are, you know, in the part of the LGBTQ community, specifically to kind of get their feedback. It was like, some of these things just don't resonate with me in the same way because I see it as, in, at least some of the ones historically, as, yeah, he's being funny or he's, he's, he's pushing the boundaries. But I'm also that from not part of that group, right? So I understand how some things may not resonate as hard with me as it would with somebody else. So I would say comedy in general. So let's start with comedy. Comedy, in my opinion, is that I think as a medium, it is like these are the people that should be, should have the freedom and the right to say the things that others are not willing to say. And sometimes it's a social commentary. Sometimes it's to push ideas that maybe uh, need to be stress tested. That fight and, and it's always done through a most of the time through humor through a, through humor, but makes us requestion how we think our own priorities as in part of society, right? Now the reality I think for a lot of these comedians is they're trying to figure out what's funny and what isn't, 
which means that they're not all going to be winners. There's mm-hmm. things that are going to be said to push the boundary that fall flat. There's things that are going to they're going to fall that'll be much much you know obviously much funnier. But I think in general, my orientation is to is that communities should have more freedom than not, right? Because that is part of their job. I think is to push the boundary of some of these issues, right? So that's my where I was stand. <clears throat> So when I look at most comedy, rarely can I think of in my life where I've walked like away really offended by something that someone said as a comedian, right? Even when I disagree with what they're saying. Of course, because I think the context of comedy, and in a way I think about theater in general, performance art that's live. Have you been to like a play, like a broad? I, I've done a lot of plays. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you know that that I in theater where you've got that that screen or whatever it is after the curtains open and it's the one you can see through and you can kind of see behind it yeah and there's this moment where in the audience you there's something there's like a chip that changes in your head where you know that you're going to suspend disbelief right you're basically right. going to enter into this world that is fantastical and you know it's not real but you're going to yeah. participate in it there's something similar in comedy where you kind of are allowing yourself permission to experience things that you know objectively may not be real and they're a little ridiculous, mm-hmm. that's part of what makes these things funny. You see what I'm saying? It's like part yeah. of the, 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 the part of the response that you have as an audience participant is precisely the fact that you are letting go of this as part of rational discourse. You're not thinking of it as I'm engaging in a yeah. policy discussion or whatever. It's, it's almost like permission to experience things and in a different I way. I think, unfortunately with comedy, especially stand-up comedy, it's one that people don't always view through the same lens as it's being art, right? Because I think it's very different when you're seeing a play, something that is scripted, something that where you're watching, looking at a painting, looking at a movie, whatever may be the case, where it's easier to separate separate the person, the individual, what they may actually feel versus what what you're consuming. Yeah. In the case, because stand-up comedy is someone literally just talking, and I've heard people, I've heard, I've, heard, I've heard Joe Rogan talk about it, I've heard other comedians talk about this, that sometimes that's part of the problem, that people just don't, are not able to separate what they're hearing from a person to saying, is this what you really believe, or is this you just talking shit, because you're a comedian, trying to, trying to, trying to get a rise out of, the, out of the crowd and make people laugh. And that's tough. And I think there is also this fine line that happens in all types of art, where it goes from an artistic expression to like, Okay, now you're doing this like really just for effect to like to sh- just shock and value word is less about the artistic expression or you're actually trying to be harmful, which is even worse. And I think intent does matter. It matters in all kinds of art. What is it that you're trying to do? Are you trying to entertain or have people enjoy something or or transcend to something? Or are you trying to be purposely offensive or are you being gratuitous? And I think people can suss that out eventually over time. I was watching a um, – I came across you know, in my YouTube feed just randomly an old clip of Sam Kinison. Remember that comedian, Sam yeah, Kinison? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was one of the Roddy Dangerfield specials like way back when. Yeah. And you know, Sam Kinison was – ridiculous. I mean, it was ridiculous and way over the top and bombastic and absurd in a way. But it was that absurdity and the fact that he would go so far over that was the thing in a way you were laughing at. It was like the right. joke was secondary to that. Right. It was the ridiculousness also of it Also being all. so out there, I'm sure it made it so that he says some things that you can't possibly take serious because he's so it, out there. It's so out there. It's yeah. like it's not mm. real. It's a, he's talking about you know and, and that's, UFOs and nonsense. You know what I mean? I totally get that. And I think that's the part that is tricky with, with Chappelle and what, he, and what he did 
not just with this special, but I went back and re-looked at the original, the earlier ones. The Stick and Stones. Six and Stones. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I've seen all of these, right? I will start with the closer, right? My even before I, I I started reading this, I'm like, what's happening here? And I watched it. And my my first reaction was like, out of the last three or four, this is the least funniest one that you've done. It's not your best work, and not not me talking smack about the content. Like, it just wasn't as good as as before. Mm-hmm. The other thing too that I thought about is like, for some reason, like this one. I don't know what the percentage is of time that he spent talking about the LGBTQ community versus the total thing, but it had to be, conservatively, Charlie, it had to be 60, 70%. Where it felt like the entire thing was about that. And even I, I started thinking about, like, how would I feel, like, if, if Dave Chappelle, one of his specials, decided that he was going to, you know, crack jokes on Latinos for a while, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be offended. And even if it was, like, going on stereotypes and digging hard and... But if it was now two or three specials where he was doing that, and then his last one, over half of, of it, or 70% yeah. of it was just about that. It was like, it gets to the point like, okay. Like, is dude, there a message that you're like, trying to convey some, within that? Do we yeah. have a problem here? Like, what's happening here? Like, because now we've gone, now it feels personal. And I think that was the thing that, that felt different about this one is it feels personal. Hmm. And one of the things that I, to unpack, have you watched the, the closing? I yet? haven't. So one of the things that he talks about a lot, Charlie, which is, which is what I find really interesting is that he frames the LGBTQ community as, a, as under the context of white privilege. And which basically means that he sort of almost makes him a synonymous of saying LGBTQ and like white men specifically and, and is, is one of the areas that we're talking about white people in general. And I think part of his issue that he keeps on kind of bringing up is that he feels that in some of those cases, these folks are able to claim the minority card, the victim card. But the second it gets a little bit rough, they could all be like, well, but I'm still white. And, and I think that bothers him a lot. Yeah. But, but it also does a complete, like, it under, it, it's a disservice to what that community it doesn't mean that that's not part of it. Sure, there are a lot of people that are white and LGBTQ, but there's also a lot of diverse people that are the same thing, right? In, in, like, and I saw this and I hadn't thought about it. Like, even, but even when he talks about the struggle of African Americans in this country, if you want to, to whatever credit you want to or not give to Black Lives Matter, the organization, two of the three of them, I think two or three are, are actually LGBTQ women. Right, they are. So, so even from that perspective, when you think about the people that have been at the heart of of of, of pushing for, you know, rights of African Americans in this country, how they're treated, even then there is a big part of that movement that is <clears throat> that falls in that community. So that's the part that I really I, I was think, I was well, confused about how much he leans into it. Like it feels personal. Yeah. That's and that's the part that was my reaction to it. And we're definitely theorizing here because we don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. but I'm just saying as a person, just just think about like if, no, no. But what from, I'm, uh, from yeah. a, if it was Latino, said like, take away LGBTQ, yeah, Latino, you did that. Right. By the third or fourth, you're like, okay, like yeah, we're we got it. Dave, right. what's going on, man? Like like. Is but there I guess what I'm here? saying is there is a and this again is there's no hard facts that I have, but yeah. just the benefit of a lived experience. There's a not insignificant contingent within the black community that does chafe a bit being compared or lumped in with other minorities, right? Whether they're minorities in terms of sexual orientation or some other thing, mm-hmm. right? Because they feel in a way, maybe I'm, you know, maybe not all of them, but some of them, that the unique kind of history and position and sure. heritage that they have with respect to their journey is being somehow erased, right? And that it's not all the same, right? So there mm-hmm. is something which maybe he's giving voice to here in, yeah. in a way. I think there is definitely some of that. Yeah. There's like is resentment. Yeah. What was interesting hearing other comedians talk about, I haven't heard Joe Rogan talk about it yet. I would love to hear his perspective, but I, but I heard, you know who Andrew Schultz is? 
So he's, Andrew Schultz is a, is a young comedian. He's like he's like the newer generation. So yeah. is he an Instagram guy? He he basically part of like how he really blew up was like over COVID, right? He has this podcast called uh, Flagrant Foul or 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 something like that, Flagrant, something like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there's these two young comedians, um, and they basically just kind of and I heard them both talking about the special, and like they were literally kind of excusing it is that. Well, you know, if someone doesn't know Chappelle, the history, and then, like he's the the goat, then you see this on its own, and it's you know maybe not the funniest, and, right? Because and it's I'm part of a body of work, and I'm hearing comedians literally try to true. excuse the fact that it's not that funny, right? And that was I found it, that was like really interesting. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like yeah. even these guys, you're saying like the best part in in the special, the closer, he tells this great story at the end, yeah. this really good story about an actual uh, trans woman that he basically was his friend. Who you, he used her as an opener for whenever he would go to San Francisco, who ended up killing herself, right? And tell the story about bringing her, and it was like such a once again a poignant most, moment, such a Dave Chappelle moment. I just wish that story would have happened two specials ago, and that he didn't spend once again. And I'm using an estimate, fifty to seventy percent of his specials just talking about a community. Like that's where it, where to me it started to cross the line between. You know, feeling like like him doing social commentary and like really going after a specific group. By the way, I'm not saying he should be canceled. I'm simply saying like I understand why people are having this kind of reaction. Yeah, see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen the show. Uh, I know Dave Chappelle. I'm a big fan of Dave Chappelle, and I do think that you have to consider the kind of body of the corpus of an artist's work. When you, if you just look at one thing, and yeah. go, oh, this is all. You know, this is all that you have. I mean, you could do the same thing in you know visual arts and you know, cinema, in whatever medium media you choose. And if you just pick one piece out, it's not a fair kind of representation. Yeah. But I think the bigger question for me, and kind of where I spent most of my time thinking, because I hadn't actually seen the special, is around the whole idea of cancel culture itself. And, you know, my thoughts on, I, I, I recoil against the term, but then I, I really started to ask myself, well, what is it about cancel culture that like bothers me? What is it? What's my principled mm-hmm. opposition to this thing? And really try to like understand and dissect it. And that's where I have some you know thoughts on this. And I think it goes back to something that that you said or inferred a little bit at the beginning of this um, segment, and that is intent does make a difference, right? Intent matters. Right. Throughout history, there's been tons of cultures that have like shamed, they have like a shame component to it, right? An ostracization, even the famous episode in The Office, right, where Dwight is like shunning, you know, the the Quakers or the Mennonites or whoever they are have a history of like shunning people when they when they want to remove them from the from the society, right? So that idea of shunning or shaming has existed through, you know, for a long time in history. And, and you see evidence of this in all kinds of different cultural contexts, right? I mean, there's even... Uh, you know, the ancient Hebrews would like, you know, put people out into the desert, you know, like, oh, you're like not welcome in our community, right? And you see all these examples of it. But the intent of those things was rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. The intent of those things was recognize that you've done something wrong, repent, and be reconciled. Right. Right? And I think that's what bothers me about cancel culture is it's not yeah, about that doesn't come across. Yeah, I agree. No, with you. It's, 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 it's even if you think about it in a, in, in a context, right? We hear about like a, a word like excommunication, right? Which has a, definitely a religious context, but it's used in a variety of different ways. That the intent of that is medicinal, 
It's curative. It's to bring you back, right? It's basically love is the orientation. In the case of cancel culture, it's hate-driven. You want to erase these people. You want to never hear from them again. You want to destroy everything they've ever done. And it's like, to me, that's the part that I object to it because I really stopped to think about like, well, why is it that I object so much to this idea of cancel culture? If somebody does something wrong, man, they should be know about it. They should be told that they've done something wrong. They should suffer the consequences. What's wrong with that? And I, and I, and I agree with that. I do think they should suffer the consequences. Right. But it's the orientation yeah. that bothers me about this is like wanting to watch people fall and tear them down and erase them from history because of something that they've done that's been wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think the, the I, I don't disagree with what you just said. You know, the, way, the thing I hope happens in this situation, I don't think that he should be canceled as much as people disagree with him. And I really do like feel for those that feel very hurt by what he said. Because if of I replace course. LGBTQ with Latino, of course. even I'll be like, hey man, like what what's going on here? Like yeah, you're course. now overdoing it. And I think that, hey man, what's going on? You're now overdoing it is a conversation that I wish someone hopefully is that that he has enough trust with can have that conversation with them and be like, listen, Dave, whatever the intent was, just know that there was there is a line, if there is a line ever in comedy where you go from being able to do social commentary about anyone and everyone, where now you're just basically like really le- like going hard after one specific group that is not your own, where it starts to come off as vindictive, where it starts to come off as impersonal. Whatever the line is, I think you actually cross it on this one, mm-hmm. right? And part of the question for you is like, why is that? Like for your own for your own side, like why why is it? Do you actually have that much resentment against this group? Is that part of like maybe deep down because we all know and maybe in laughter and comedy may, there's, there's truth a lot of truth of that's that right, right? Like, so well, same thing yeah like stereotypes there, there, there you is know? there is that and I think I, I feel like someone needs to have that conversation with him because unfortunately the way it's being framed is either cancel him or his, his own framing which is look I, I stand now for freedom of of speech yeah I love it I love and, being and canceled I love being I'm a and bad like, both of those are not right yeah because. They, well, the, I you think did the, cross a line. Like, I, you did overdo it. I think the truth of it See is likely, of course, I think the truth of it is likely is that he has a real, you know, point of contention that maybe he hasn't fully fleshed out in his own mind. Maybe it is what I suggested that he feels a sense of, um, uh, you know, he, he feels that it's not fair or equitable sure. for the black experience to be equated with the LGBTQ experience when many, and not, of course not all, many LGBTQ folks are people who, you know, come from well-established, well, you know, have well, you know, they're well-off, they're white, they've got professional backgrounds. And like equating that with, you know, 400 years of slavery and Jim Crow, like to him, maybe he feels that's unfair. I'm just, right. I'm totally speculating. Yeah, yeah. If that's true, some of that, giving sure. voice to that, Rather than maybe skirting the issues, what you're suggesting, right? Like, like really focus on what it is that drove you to have such a big percentage of the show be about this, right? And let's like let's let's like deal with to that. actually have that. Com- I, I hope like once again, the only one that I could think of that's probably at that level that could maybe have that conversation is maybe a Joe Rogan. Rogan. Well, he's maybe had him on the show before, but and I he has. About that. Now my assumption is that Joe would not do that at all. He'll go the opposite, which is like, ah, oh, these cancel people. Da, da, da. Maybe uh, I'm, I'm even no know. benefit of that. I think you might do a little bit of both. But on but, the show. I, but when I heard and the, the 
it goes back to like, is it just me kind of conversation? When I heard Andrew Schultz, <clears throat> comedian, I think he's maybe uh, he's a white dude, comedian, young, kind of the next generation up and coming. When they were both kind of skirting the issue about it, kind of how they were talking about they it, they were like, almost like excusing ex- something that was clearly. I was like, oh yeah, so yeah. this is not just yeah. you know people that are. Well, did in he the, explain why he doesn't want to do any more stand up specials? I, I don't know because maybe all he, this is related. Maybe just, this is his last one it, for a reason. He, he said he wasn't going to talk about the subject again either. You know, boxers fade too at the end. You yeah, know what I mean? He said so, he wasn't going to talk about the subject either. He said it was the last one for a while and he wasn't going to talk about this community for a while. And maybe that's why I felt he needed to kind of let it all out. But it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I hope someone has that conversation with him because I think he's way too talented. I think he's way too much of an important of a voice, frankly, for a lot of people. And he's one that has had, I think, a big cultural influence on people. I think that's, that's also what, what, what bothers people is that because he is such a big cultural influence, mm-hmm. how he talks about this community matters for continue to push stereotypes and how other people believe, you know, about, about, the, about this community. I think that the idea, though, of trying to solve for, you know, offending people is very difficult in an environment where there doesn't seem to be, like, any sort of objective benchmark or guidelines, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the part where I find it really ironic in a way that in a culture or a society that increasingly says that right and wrong are to be or whatever, reality is something that I determine for myself. I find it super, super ironic that in a world where it doesn't, it seems like there is no kind of yeah. That right or wrong is subjective. Everybody's very afraid of like being judged. Everybody's yeah. very afraid of like what somebody will say or not in this world where every, anything goes. Yeah. And yeah. so it's just hard for me, as much as I agree that that conversation should be had with him, I can imagine him pushing back and saying, Jesus, man, is like, I can solve for it in that way. And there'll still be 20 people that think that that, that the point where it's 20%, or 12% or 8% is still too much. You see right. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it, screw it. I'm going to do 55. Like I could see him saying that. I, I totally get that, which is why I, I hope someone that is a comedian that understands this medium that he trusts can have the conversation with them. And I would say pick another, pick any other category. Pick on Latinos and do the exact same thing. And I can guarantee you there will be a lot of people right up being like, dude, what's like, what's going on? Like I thought we were, I thought we were cool, Dave. Like, do you hate, do you hate us? Like, do you have resentment because Latinos in this country are now a, 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 the, the the largest minority because we've made a lot of strides and you could t- you could think about all the same issues you can place on the LGBT com- community in terms of progress. You can maybe put it on, on us as well, right? And that, that's my point. Is like I, I hope someone has a conversation with them. Hmm. Well, I got to watch the show. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Very good. All right. I still like Dave. I love Dave. I think he's awesome. I really do, man. And I, I'm telling you, that last part, that story that he told is like, that is a, a classic kind yeah, of story. Yeah, start with that one. Yeah, start with that one. Do that two, ep- two uh, specials ago. Two specials ago. And then talk about other people. Pick on us. Love you know? it. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're just, just don't do 70% yeah, of, your, of a show about it, you know. Everybody else is. Join right. the crowd. <laughs> exactly. Beautiful. Shall we do uh, Courage or Cringe? Let's do it. Beautiful. Uh, courage or cringe? Oh, we have a. Uh, it's a sports. Uh, mostly a sports bonanza. edition. Yeah, sports bonanza. We'll get to the Some latest. Some breaking news, uh, too. The, break, the, the last one, uh, the latest one, last. Let's start with uh, Courage or Cringe. ESPN anchor Sage Steele is off the air after her comments of vaccine. So I don't watch. And Obama. I don't watch all the sports shows like you do. And I confess, I wasn't super familiar with her. I'd seen her before. Oh, yeah, I'm very familiar with her. Yeah. You are. Okay, yeah. good. Did you, did, do you know her, like her? Was it, was it a, yeah, uh, do you have I any mean, point of view only, about her before my this? My point of view is like, she's done a bunch of different things. Um, coverage of football, NBA, Sports Center. I frankly hadn't, 
So no like real opinion necessarily beyond the fact that she's a journalist and a yeah, sportscaster. No opinion about her personally. I know nothing about her in terms of broadcaster, mm-hmm. sports journalist. Great. Like I have a zero, zero negative view about her whatsoever. Got it. Okay. Don't know anything about her political orientation. I never heard her speak to anything outside of sports context, right? Mm-hmm. So she basically got herself in some hot water for comments she made while being interviewed by Jay Cutler uh, on his podcast, right? Which Everybody's has, got a podcast now. Exactly. Uh, a lot more competition for which us. Which has now led, that's right, to ESPN removing her. From the air for at least a week, although they haven't actually clarified for how long. Dude, I called it the last one. Remember with uh, Eric no, uh, with Nichols? Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I, I have a, a sneaky, I was wrong. my spidey sensor up on this one too, Jesus. Yeah, and I think yeah. that week is going to go a little longer. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I'm, I'm going to stop fighting it this time. Um, by the way, she also tested positive for COVID. So, but at this point, it's not clear how much is like tested positive. Right. Or, or even if she did. Right. That's <laughs> like no more. <laughs> you know, I want to be like a conspiracy theorist, right? So there was a bunch of things that she said, right? So let's kind of go by steps. First, there was her comments on the vaccine, right? Um, now, she mentioned basically in the podcast she had just gone vaccinated because Disney, who is the parent company of ESPN, uh, requires for all their employees to get vaccinated. And she said to that, uh, I respect everyone's decision. I really do. But to mandate it, to mandate it is sick. And it's scary to me in many ways. But I have a job, a job that I love and frankly, a job that I need. So people obviously had <laughs> very honest had issue. Yeah. yeah, yeah, had honest. People obviously people had issue with with that comment about the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Then there was her comments on race and Obama. Right now, this was in reference to her talking about how she identifies herself as a mixed woman, and it's apparently, and I, I heard the actual interview because so I went back and listened to the not just what people wrote about it, but actually to what she was saying. And she was talking about that basically when she. Uh, identifies herself. She mm-hmm. identifies her as both being black and white, right? Yeah. And when asked by folks, like, why doesn't she just, you know, identify as being black? And someone, I guess, that she was talking to said, you know, even Obama, um, uh, you know, identifies himself as, as being black, even though they're both biracial, right? Both, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Obama and Obama and, and Sage, and Sage. Are, are both yeah. biracial. She said to that, I'm like, well, congratulations to the president. That's his thing. I think that is fascinating considering his black dad was nowhere to be found, but his white mom and grandma raised him. But hey, do, uh, you do you, I'm going to do me. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's a comment that definitely got a lot of people very riled up about uh, about basically associating the fact that she she feels that the presence of, of his dad mm-hmm. in his life should determine whether or not he considers himself black. Right? Uh, or, or primarily identify himself as being black. And then lastly were some of her comments as it relates to young female journalists bearing some responsibility for, prevent, for preventing harassment. She said, I've had talks with young women. They're like, uh, oh, would you like, uh, or would you, would you look at my tape? Uh, and and I, said, I said, listen, I would love to, but the way you present yourself is not something I want to be associated with. Hmm. When you dress like that, I'm not saying you deserve the gross comments, but you know what you're doing when you're putting out that outfit on too. Hmm. Right? So all of this basically got... Backlash immediately. So you got COVID, you got mixed race, you, you got, got COVID, you sexual got race. harassment stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um, across the board, right? Now, to all this, she ultimately apologized. She said, I know my comments, my recent comments created controversy for the company, and I apologize. We're in the midst of an extremely challenging time that impacts all of us, 
And it's more critical than ever, than ever that we're communicating constructively and thoughtfully. I'm sympathetic to her, but I actually don't view that very much as an apology. I actually think that she's saying she's sorry that this caused anything. I don't think she's actually apologizing for what she well, said. Well, that's part. Of it. Yeah, that's part of it, right? Yeah. So courage or cringe on ESPN, and is it on that on ESPN removing Sage Steele from the air following her comments? Yeah, I wish I had a little bit more history with her so I could understand her a little bit better than you do. I mean, look, in reading this and just looking at it on a factual basis, I'm a cringe. Um of her being removed, right? Let's let's kind of break it down. And I'd love your thoughts on it because mm-hmm. you have more context than I do. Um, the idea that she respects an individual's decision to get COVID vaccine, but that she doesn't believe in the man in a mandate to vaccinate and that it's scary to her. I, I, like, to be honest, I really identify with that. I mm-hmm. think that, the, as I've said a thousand times on this podcast, the vaccine is moral. It's probably the best defense we have against it, but mm-hmm. forcing people to get a vaccine, I also think is immoral. And so- Like, now, again, from my point of view, I look at that, maybe it could have been said differently, but I I don't find something really sinister in that, in what she said, right? At least it doesn't immediately strike me. Now, I didn't hear the podcast, and I I don't know her. I would say out of the three... I would say that's probably the least of her okay. concern of her problems in this in this case. Okay, so you you don't have, do you have an issue with that one, or you have? I I, I mean, you look, don't like I the way she said it. Maybe it doesn't bother me personally. It doesn't bother me, but also I, I, I know I'm pretty like this stuff doesn't bother me too much. Yeah, the part that is a little surprising, I would say, I will put that as a comment to the whole thing is that you are a journalist who is used to talking all the time, who is very aware that what you said right. says gets recorded, gets distributed, gets broadcast. Sure. When you think about someone that does not need media training, so should be one of your anchors. But is but and, and, and hold on. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. I don't put in a second that one second. That comment to me is a very a little bit on it's a very that, like yeah, I can see like it's like an honest view of how she really feels. And if it's that by itself, maybe there's other things that are going on there. Yeah. There's like anti-vax comments that she's making because this is not an anti-vax comment that she's making. She says that it's scary to her. I get that. That's a personal feeling, right? That doesn't. That's why this one doesn't bother me too much. There may be other things behind it around the vaccine that she also said or did that I just don't but know about. But if she's about. anti-vax, why would she have gotten the vaccine? You see what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, you could still be that and you could still push theories around it and still do it because you love your job because you know that it's a company that is not going to keep it around yeah, I guess. if you don't do it. I guess right? you could if you're like super just if you're su- if you're super yeah, unprincipled. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. If you're yeah. like, I'm not going to do it no matter what, then yeah, you're right. Yeah. But to me, that's why the, out of the three is the one that I find least problematic. The pushback that I would give you on, on the whole idea of media training and all that is that this isn't, this wasn't that in a sense. This was her being interviewed in a way as a personality. Like this isn't her show. She's a guest on a no, show. That's what I mean. But yeah. you are someone that you know because you're interviewing people all the time that anything you say, especially in a podcast with Jay Cut, this is not like some kind no, of I, random, yeah. you know. No, I get that. But I'm just, I, I guess I'm making a case for the fact of her speaking as a Disney employee or her speaking as a talent and personality. I'm saying her speaking as someone that should be very aware that anything she says is going to be picked up, analyzed. I get and it, but I, but I give her credit if this is how she feels for being authentic and telling sure. the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's how she feels in all three of these. Okay, right. Okay, so the, so that's my first one, and and you know I, I don't have an issue with that. The second one about the president, it's interesting because I didn't hear the context, and even what you said was was helpful in the sense that it seemed like she was responding in a way, right, to somebody mm-hmm. saying. Something about how she, why don't you position yourself as just black? I think that what she's been accused of is what I'm, this is what now now I'm reading between the lines, that she's been accused of overly calling out the fact that she is black and white. I mean, very proud of the fact that she is black. As opposed to saying she's just black. And question about this, and this is a, a serious question. Do you think that the default for a mixed child is just to assume their ethnic side of the equation? 
In other words, like if you're Latino and white, you should just call yourself Latino. If you're black and white, you should call yourself black. I don't, but I but I think in terms of what I think was that people are viewed and judged are two different things. Okay, but in I'm asking sense, you what yeah, you yeah. think. Yeah. What I think is that I think is, as a matter of fact, I can speak to this directly because my daughter is mixed race, that I'm very clear with her that she is both. She's both Latina and she's black, right? And then with a double click, she's actually African, right? That's where her mom comes from, right? So we make it a point to say that you're both those things. Right. Right. So it's not a you're only Latina or you're only black. Right. Right. So we make, it a, we make it a point that she's both of those things. But it seems that the popular position would be to say that she's black. I think the reality is for for any for people that are mixed race, right. when they're black, and this is a historical thing, mm-hmm. is no matter what percentage of black you are, then you're black. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's the the way that people perceive folks. No one's gonna look at Obama's and say, Oh, you're white. No one. Right. You'll say mixed, you, maybe, or you'll say he's black. But you can understand from the kid's perspective that it, not acknowledging one no, no, side I, of I, your... I get that. Yeah. I'm, I'm simply saying when people look at Obama... I understand that. No one's ever going to say he's white. Okay, but... No one. Yeah. So society doesn't see them as being white. You're, you're either black or mixed. Sure. And mixed will be a smaller percentage. I think people don't want to recognize that. Right? So in terms, that, of her, in terms of her choosing to mm-hmm. say, I'm both black and I'm also white. Well, that's factually true. She is both. I, I have no issue hard, with that. Hard, what I have a hard yeah. time thinking is like, what of of her of his dad being in the picture has to do with him seeing himself as black because he is growing up as a black yeah. kid. I think, Everyone treats him sure. as a black kid. No one treats him as a white kid. I don't care if it's his grandmother, yeah. aunt, or everyone Just be white. like you like, said about the I first the first statement about COVID being the least, you know, kind of offensive as you as you look to this. Her comment, not so much on how she defines herself, but the yeah. comment specifically about the president's dad was the one that struck me as one you would reel back and like, oh, if you're going to do this again, don't don't right. say that one, right? So I acknowledge that. I'm very sympathetic also as the father of mixed kids and the adoptive father of black and white mixed kids of the idea of acknowledging sure. both sides of your parentage. Yeah, I'm no parentage problem with that. Yeah. Because it's just... I just think it I makes sense. I think it's sense. a good thing, for sure. Right. Yeah, that's what I encourage my daughter. She needs to acknowledge both. That's what she is. Right. I completely agree with that. Right. But 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 that but but she's not going to be borne out in that in a popular way. The popular support is going to be not for that. What you just what you just described. No. What I'm saying is that it's a difference between how you identify yourself. Right. Right. And what to your point, acknowledge both both of what you are. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying in society, and now in this case, it also depends on frankly what you look like. Let's be honest, right? Mm-hmm. Because when my daughter, I'm going back, making it very personal. When my daughter's with me. Most people think she's just Latina. Few people may recognize. Oh, you're actually your kids actually mixed. But when she was her mom, people definitely like pick up that she, the fact that she's mixed, right? So she's one of those kids that yeah, kind of like by could, contrast, depending on who she's with, depending exactly. on who she's with, yeah, yeah, like people kind of see it more and more. So she's one that probably gets both yeah. the 100 percent Latina and 100 at least partially sure. black or, or you know half black. But I think in some cases, for a lot of these kids, the reality is that when you are mixed and have some black society, people will view you as being whatever the minority part is going to be. Yeah. Which is a different situation than basically saying you should or should not recognize what you are, which is a contribution of, of, of both these cultures. There's also a, a general lack of awareness about the degree to which multiracial people are part of the American experience. I just looked up these stats because we actually did it for one of our um, you know, presentations that we're building. Mm-hmm. In the last decade, in 10 years... 25 million additional multiracial Americans in the country 
35 million total in the country. It's the fastest growing segment yeah. of the population. Yeah. And so part of it is just like people, you know, back of the slinky, front of the slinky thing. A lot of people are just like, maybe not, I don't know, as conscious as they need to be sure. about the fact that mixed people are out there and they exist. Yeah. But anyway, with the, the exception, this is the one that runs the farthest afoul for me, yeah. but is not enough to change my overall calculus. And then let's look at the third one. Mm-hmm. I've had my talks with young women. They're like, would you look at my tape? And I've said, listen, I'd love to, but the way you present yourself is not something I want to be associated with. So when you dress like that, I'm not saying you deserve the gross comments, but you know what you're doing when, you, when you're putting that outfit on too. You know, could it be, because this is how I read it, mm-hmm. right? In a, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a charitable and generous assessment, I'll concede. Nevertheless, I think it's reasonable that she believes women should be modest. And I understand that. I think modesty is beautiful. I think immodesty sometimes contributes to toxicity only because I've experienced it, right? And so the the line between that comment and you deserved it, which is what I'm, I concede maybe people hear when they hear her well, say that. Just, just think about this. When people say, I'm not saying you deserve it. I'm not saying, or I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be racist. I'm not like, I can think of all yeah. the things that when you, the moment you said, I'm not trying to do this. qualify it. It's that. Mm. Unfortunately, I think it comes off like that. I think people do that reflexively as a way to kind of explain, to give their credentials that they're not a particular thing before they say it. Your preference would be to just come out and say it. But my point is like, when you say that, it's... You're saying that because you know that what you're just about to say yeah. is going to be interpreted exactly that way. Yeah. Look, it's been a while because I, obviously I've been married for a long time. But, you know, when I was single and I was in college, I remember like a lot of girlfriends that I had. Girlfriends, not girls. Girls who were friends, not girlfriends. Uh-huh. Who would, you know, tell me like they would throw an outfit on. They'd be like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna get some attention tonight. And I'm going to get this and that and the other thing, right? And so I, I've heard examples like that. And yet I recognize that not every woman who does that is attempting that or whatever. There's a difference between what, you know, sort of what is what objectively happens and what people are subjectively experiencing, right? But it's just it's it's but, a but tricky. Even, but yeah. even what you just described, mm-hmm. if someone tells you I'm gonna dress this so I get attention, yeah. What's the line between I wanna get attention where I'm getting gross comments, I'm getting No, 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 gross, of course. I'm, no, know, even beyond that, right? But yeah. but, that, but I think that's the, the tricky thing about this of what she's saying. But the point that I'm making is, if 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 that's true, and I've just it's something that I've experienced again in a very limited circumstance. But if it's true that some women do do that, then when she says, "You know what you're doing when you put that outfit on too," well, I can affirm that because I've experienced that in some cases, limited cases. But the fact that some women did they do recognize what they're doing when they put on a particular kind of uh, of outfit, right? So I'm just trying to take the words that she's saying at face value and trying to understand what. But, but you I know, think how that's, they apply. that's the chance that I have when reading her words at face value mm-hmm. is that you know what you're doing too, which means that you are assigning some level of responsibility around gross comments. And by the way, let's say if it's all just gross comments, then probably got off easy. Sure, we're still talking about society where it happens way too many times when women get assaulted. Of course. Right. So you're putting some responsibility on on the woman for how they're dressed, for the behavior that can, that, especially in this context, we're talking about sports. Right. The context we're talking about, about sports and there are primarily men who play the sport, especially women that are, that are, that are covering men's sports. Mm-hmm. And the number of stories that have come out of women getting harassed and all these things that, that have happened, I have a really hard time with that. Like, I have a really problem with her as a woman who's been in the sport for a long time. Right, which could be a different way to say this to, to your point. If you're going to say that the nice version, hey, by the way, just be smart about 
putting yourself in situations where you can control, where you're not putting yourself in a vulnerable, vulnerable position where something can happen because you have to be very aware of your surroundings because you are dealing with a lot of lots of testosterone, a lot of like, whatever, right? And not, I'm not excusing anything for anyone. I'm simply saying you also need to be aware of your part. Right. Well, somebody could push back and say, yeah, but no matter how I dress, none of that should happen anyway. So sure. I, I want to do whatever I, I want. And I, you should still I, be I able to control yourself. And that should be the case. And you're right. It should be It should be the case, Charlie. Uh, yeah. I think it's 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 really sad that we're having we're in society. And maybe I'm super sensitive because I do have a daughter. So because I. I have a daughter that when I look at what they wear for gymnastics, little kids, they'll worry about some creep looking at, the, at these kids that are all wearing tight and... and so should I say, hey, you guys shouldn't be able to wear that because you also have to not contribute to, to people looking at you that way. Well, agreed. Like, but that's not okay. Yeah. We literally went through gymnastics where you had volleyball teams mm-hmm. that were being fined for not wanting to wear the little skippy think, shorts. Like, see what I'm saying? Like, I think the question you have to ask yourself, which I've already gone through because my daughter's older and has been through these ages already. The question you have to ask yourself is at 15 or 16, when your daughter comes in the room wearing a very, very skimpy short skirt and a very tight shirt, sure. and she's going to go out and she says, how's this look? Is this great? What are you going to actually yeah, tell yeah, her? No, I, I'm, right? yeah, I definitely, we talk about that a lot in terms of what she wears and what, she, what she's right. doing. And I think that's perfectly look, reasonable think, and smart. Yeah. I have a hard time with her as a woman who's a leader in this, in this area, as a broadcaster, who a lot of young women look up to. To put this kind of onus back on young women and not even talk about, which it doesn't sound like she's actually talked about it. Maybe there's a bigger part of this, what she talked about, this bad culture that still happens in some of these mm-hmm. sports. By the way, when we talk about the John Gruden issue, there's there's some of that sort of rope, roped into, into that thing as well. Yeah. That's why I have an issue with, with what she said. I think, how would you have felt, just last question, how would you have felt if she, if she came out and said, I think women should be modest. I think they should dress modestly. And I believe that modesty is beautiful. And I think immodesty can lead to bad things. How would you have felt about that? Uh, yeah, I'm like I, I wouldn't understand what that means. It feels like coming like from the Quaker era. Era, honestly, I don't know. I don't know what that means. But someone tell me that. All right. Well, I, I, I and I'm not being like I just don't. I have no idea what that means. Okay. It just yeah. Like wear all sweaters, nothing but 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 turtlenecks. No, it just it are just we talking about nothing below the the ankle or nothing above the ankle. Like what are, what are we what I think, what are you defining th- as even modest in this I, case? I think that you have to you know if you've I think you have to just deal with objective facts that there are provocative things that people can put on men and women mm-hmm. and there are things that are more modest that people can yeah, put on except that men are not being assaulted and that's and I think it, that's the problem that I have a really hard time with her putting that onus back on, on women like and yeah, I didn't women? catch anything about the assault what I'm saying is but specifically about the way that she's saying what she said about you know I, I, I can't the way you present yourself is not something I want to be associated with there's nothing right. that she says about assaulting anybody she says she's the way she's talking about gross no, 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 let's yeah. rewind it I'm yeah. not saying you deserve the gross comments and we know what happens after gross comments right see that's, that's the thing there's a there's a, a, a but that pendulum was after the whole right right there's a pendulum that happens here right there's gross comments yeah. right then there is like someone could, could then get mm-hmm. handsy could then actually then lead to assault and she's saying, let's start with the girls' comments. You know what you're doing as well. And and the fact that she's putting it back on women, you're right, it shouldn't happen. A woman should not, a female reporter should not, should not walk into a male locker room and feel that based on what she's wearing, she may or may not be uh, accosted by someone that, that's in there. Of course that should not. not be, that should be the case. So of course why not. you as a female yeah. leader in the sport are making that comment and putting back, and even if it is to your, to your point about, I forget the, the word that we're Modesty? Used, yeah, about modest, like... I have yeah. no idea what that means. So, so at what point does it go from modest okay, to... Okay, we'll to, replace it with business. If that's, the saying? word modest is hard to understand. Business attire. I don't know. Do you understand? I mean, like business... I know, business attire. Okay, Some business attire for women are pretty tight, are super tight, as a matter of fact. 
right? Okay, but generally See understood. Like, like, generally understood. Okay, if you if you work at General Mills in Minnesota, if you dress like a and, lawyer, yeah, life are really into that. A life are really into that. Uh, okay, that's but, modest well, yeah. attire and the business business attire. Yeah, but let's take individual fetishes. See, out see, of see it. what I'm saying? Like, like that's that's my point, Charlie. That's my yeah, point. Yeah, but I think you're. Even, I even think under your definition, I think, is a tough one. I I think you're grasping a little bit at straws. I think okay. generally reasonable people understand what professional attire means. I think you can always find somebody who's like really turned on by paisley ties. Okay, I get it. Somebody's going to be a nut for paisley ties. There, there is a market for paisley. There ties. There is apparently, but anyway. All right, so you're you're cringe. I'm, I'm cringe, cringge. for sure. Let's uh, move on to the next one. Great. So, courage or cringe, California becomes the first state to require ethnic studies for high school graduation. We've been on a roll in California, outlawing small engines, uh, COVID vaccine mandates. Going all in. Going Going all in, in. ethnic studies. We're always top of the news cycle. That I will give credit to Mr. Newsom. Um, Yeah, almost as much as Florida. Yeah, (laughs) true. Or Texas, citing new laws. Uh, so California just became the first state to make ethnic studies a required class for high school graduation, right? To help students understand the past and present struggles and contributions of black, Asian, Latino, Native, Indigenous Americans and other groups that have experienced racism and marginalization in America, right? Now, while this thing has to ask you some critics, the bill did get overwhelming res- support and was signed into law by Governor Newsom, right? Now, these revised teaching guide was completed and approved in March by the State Board of Education, and the requirement will first apply to those who graduate in 2030. So there's a little bit of time to go be- between now and when Who that graduate happens. in 2030. Right. That means Which they get into high school in 2026. 2026. That's right. Yeah. So students in the class of 2030 will start mm-hmm. high school in 2026. So it's four years from now. Must it's not pass that long. at least, yeah, I guess not. Yeah, yeah. it seems a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Must pass at least uh, one single semester course. Which means that the schools by the fall of 2025 uh, should have at least those those classes uh, uh, made made available. So you well, basically actually, hang on a second. They need though, to make the class made available a year before, uh, right. Before the, the but that, if it's, that incoming class starts, if it's graduating 2030 and it, it's K through 12, wouldn't it start now? But this is specifically to high school. Oh, because I thought the law was K through 12. Where did I read that? Maybe I'm well, wrong. Well, it's to graduate from high school, so I guess you're right. Eventually, but right. but it applies to uh, that class being okay. available only in high school. Uh, I, I mean, there may be other classes available before that, but this is specific topic mm-hmm. to class available in high school, right? So that means that the class needs to be available to your point. That's not that long from now, right? In four years, by 2025, by the fall 2025, they still have at least one course that is um, uh, to fulfill the dis- of, of ethnic studies, right? Yep. Now, according to Jose Medina, who's assemblyman from Riverside and author of the bill, he sees this as a compromise between those who advocate, who advocate those advocates who wanted an activist anti-imperialist approach and those who were against a radical ideology and biased against capitalism, right? Uh, some of the compromise was on, on toning down some of the activist elements and adding the exper- experiences of other groups, so including Jewish, Armenian, and Sikh communities, right? So now the next stage is going to be the debate that will likely move to schools and school districts and get entangled in the, of course, volatile political divide over critical race theory and the extent to which it is incorporated in the state's ethnic studies curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, now the reason is that, uh, now the reason for that is that in the bill, it specifically advises that school districts avoid using anything that was removed from the original draft. And the second is that this new law also requires that the co- that course materials be provided for public review, including a public hearing before being approved in a late, at a later meeting. A public hearing by who? 
uh, so a public like hearing with, with student parents, yeah, with parents, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, that was part of like a school board meeting. So you know, wow. <laughs> so basically, get ready for more chaotic, you know, school board say, meetings, it's right? Be a Netflix series, exactly. And they have to basically have four years to work it out, right? For the first one, too. That's probably why you need that, <laughs> that much time. They got a lot of flack too for like anti-Semitism too, and some in this bill from some of the stories. They did, yeah. That was that was actually part of the changes that were made uh, to it, which included then adding more on Jewish Americans and taking out some of what people, you know, viewed as as uh, uh, anti-Semitic, right? Yeah. Uh, so courage or cringe, California becomes the first state to require ethnic studies for high school graduation. Uh, there was a quote from uh, this guy, senior fellow at the Independent Institute, which was an, is an Oakland think tank. Did you mm-hmm. read this in one of the pieces? Uh, I did not. The proposed model curriculum is still full of left-wing ideological propaganda and indoctrination. It still force-feeds our kids the socialist dogma that capitalism is oppression. It's almost all Berkeley and very little Bakersfield. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> um, I thought that was funny. a pretty interesting quote. Look, I mean, with all these things, I really wish that the emphasis was on what makes people of different ethnicities interesting and special, right? Like, what makes people that come from these different experiences something interesting to learn about? What is it that is special about all of us that makes these things good to learn, right? Um, mm-hmm. The dignity of people, you know, those things. I, I, would, I wish that they would emphasize that. I wish that they would emphasize the idea of we live in a community, that we live, that we're, you know, that we're in relationship with one another, and that's the reason why it's important to care about people, and a little mm-hmm. bit less about like these people because bad things have happened to them, and somehow you're bad as a result of that, which is kind of the, the impression that a lot of this material leaves in me. Well, I, I'm think, also, I think yeah. what you're describing is what the impression that I think a lot of people that are against this type of study have mm-hmm. around what it actually means, right? Yeah. Sorry, let me pick up. No, no, no that, but, um, but, I, but I think that nevertheless, that's, you know, that's an impression that a lot of this stuff gives is that the emphasis is on, is not on what makes people special, but what makes, you know, what, what bad things have occurred. And I think that there's a balance to strike. And maybe this new version strikes that balance, but it seems like there's enough contention in it to say that they're probably not there yet. Um, I also think it's hard for me to, you know, consider this not in the context of all the stuff that's happened around Junipero Serra, which we haven't really talked about on this show. But, um, you know, he's a big figure in California history, um, you know, missionary back in the 15th century, walked all up and down, established all the missions, etc. You know, we've got cities like San Francisco and San Diego and all that named in large part because of the mm-hmm. kind of missionary experience that happened in California. And all this stuff that's come out about Junipero Serra, who, that is just so ahistorical. It's just not even close to being true. And, you know, it just, it really, and I admit I don't have the full grasp on what all this material is, but I imagine it being in that same kind of light that, um, you know, the people who, who came from a Christian background are bad. People who came from Europe are bad, generally speaking. That's the starting point. I just don't, it's hard for me to subscribe to those, to those things that because somebody is a particular color or their particular origin, that they just have that contribution to make to world history. History is much more complex than that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's hard for me to get behind this. Um, I really wish I, and I tried, I looked for it. There was even a link that said, this is the latest version. But when I clicked on it, it only, it went to some like city website that didn't actually show the <laughs> the actual thing. So I couldn't even read what it was. And maybe yeah. you've read it. The the material itself? The actual material, the latest I, version of the material. I think that's what they need to work out though. 
is, but there's uh, a draft though of what that version oh, is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So there must have been right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. There's someone. There's a draft. I think of the, of the types of things that are going to get studied. I thought I did see it somewhere, but I I forget now what was included on it. Yeah. That. So just so based based on what I've read, I think I have to come down on cringe because mm-hmm. just based on what I've read, I think that there's not enough emphasis on what makes people special and why we should want to learn about these ethnicities and these different people. Right. Right. And I and I really think that's where the focus should be for these things, especially for kids. And again, I don't know if I've read this wrong, but I thought it was a K through twelve curriculum. I no. thought it was starting in now, elementary school. It's different than the case where we're still talking about in some cases critical race theory being. Uh-huh. sort of incorporated at least some of the elements of it into the broader education of kids. But this bill specifically is only for high school. Okay. Um, look, I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually, I'm encouraged for the reason I was going to complain about it, which is... It's a good start. Which is a good start, right? I was going to complain about, I don't like the fact that, I didn't like the fact, but the more I look at it, I think it's actually kind of a brilliant move that these guys actually did. Mm-hmm. They made it so it's going to be really messy. It's going to be have to require a lot of debate, a lot of flushing out, but it's going to index on transparency, right? So the fact that this law requires that the course material itself be provided for public review, right, including a public hearing, and has to get debated and approved, right? And that part I didn't know, actually. That actually, to me, was like, okay. Like, yeah, if there's there'll be a people way to weigh in. And that's a good point. That you know, if, if there is ever a moment to find balance, yeah, it's going to be some of that. Oh, and, and I was going to say before you you mm-hmm. kind of unspool, I, I just did look it up, oh. and, it, and it is true. So it says in March, California State Assembly passed AB one hundred and one, a bill that would require all K through twelve students to take at least one ethnic studies course before graduating high school. So it is all K through 12. Yeah, but I think it's just worded that way. If you think about when that's going to take place, it needs to take place in high school, right? So it may, we may be talking about the same thing, Charlie, but I doubt that someone's going to be like, oh, you, you took an ethnic studies class in kindergarten, so therefore you don't have to take it anymore when you're in high school. That will be very, very. Then why odd. not just say high school students? See what I'm saying? Like, that, that, yeah, I know. It's just very odd the way it's written, but, but, but think about just what will be included in that course. And the fact that you could basically check off that requirement when you're in primary school or better yet, kindergarten, and then therefore you could just graduate in high school. So I, I think it's more just the way that it's written, but but this one was more specific about being being in high school. Um, yeah, so so I would say I understand the point and I actually like the fact that it was debated. I like the fact that there was that it was actually toned down. I think to your point, when you're not toned, when you let one side or the other go, and this is a, unfortunately the sad thing about this pendulum swings way too hard one way or the other, right? Because you and I have talked about this. My right. ex- personal experience of high school mm-hmm. was like the everything is awesome, America is great, Viva Columbus, you know, right? That's it, right? And then we probably have not gone to the way the other right. one, like no, no, no everything that horrible. was European based, yeah. horrible, sucks, yeah. And it sounds like, at least in this case, there was some thrashing that occurred. Well, there was definitely... Uh, I like the fact that they're including, like, Sikh communities and Armenian communities. Because Armenian communities, it's such a pretty big... In Jewish sure. They're big in, in L.A. Yeah. Right? And I would say, I remember, and there was parts of L.A. where there was, like, riots between Armenians and Latinos. There was a lot of issues there. And frankly, I think part of that is just not knowing enough of each other. I agree with that 100%. So, so if part of this is about learning more about these different groups, their contributions, and what they're doing, now, what goes back to the how you do it, how you present it, right? But if but if these forums become a place where you actually, even after a lot of thrashing, yeah. something better comes out, then you know what? I think this actually serves the purpose of what is it meant to, you know, um, meant, meant to, to achieve. Yeah. yeah. 
So that's, I wish, that's why I'm encouraging it. I wish all these things would just emphasize more the same thematic that we keep coming back to, or at least I do. Mentorship, relationship, community. Spend time with people yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than just looking in a book as to whether you should like or not like some <laughs> particular person. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyways, that's so maybe being a little bit idealistic here, but part of what I didn't like about it, actually, now that I look at it, I'm like, yeah, that's that's actually pretty smart. Interesting point. All right. All right, cool. Uh, last one. Breaking news. Breaking news. It was breaking news last night. I was watching the game when they announced it. All it was right. on Monday Night Football. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Raiders coach John Gruden mm-hmm. resigns after homophobic and misogynistic emails. So, yeah, it's breaking, breaking this, this, un, you know, unspooled pretty quickly. So, John Gruden stepped down as the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders football team. Now, this happened hours after the New York Times detailed emails in which he had made homophobic and misogynistic remarks, which followed the early report of racist statements made by Gruden about the, the Maurice Smith, the executive director of the NFL Players Association. Now, that email, the initial email uh, where, where he made the racist comments about, um, you know, Mr. Smith was written in 2011 uh, to Bruce Allen, who was at the time president of the Washington football team, uh, while Gruden was an analyst at ESPN at the time, right? So he basically said, dumb Boris Smith has lips the size of Michelin tires, right, is what he said in his email, right? Um, now, to this, a Smith, Mr. Smith responded in a statement, you know, people are sometimes saying things behind your back that are racist, just like you see people talk and write about you using thinly coded and racist language. Mm-hmm. Racism like this comes from the fact that I am at the same table that they are, and they don't think someone who looks like me belongs. Right? Um, now, to that initial ro- report, Gruden had responded by saying that he didn't recall the email. But admitted he was angry by the by the stalled labor talks, to which he added, "I probably looked at De- D as the villain, and I was really upset that there was going to be a lockout. I went too far calling him Michelin lips. I never had a blade of racism in me, mm-hmm. and that he used a terrible way of insulting a guy." He also said that he called you know Smith, but never heard back. Right now, to all this, Raider ownership Mark Davis said that he found it disturbing and not uh, what the Raiders stand for. But we'll be addressing that matter with Gruden directly and not commenting anymore on the matter, right? And that was before, uh, basically yesterday, right? Yeah. And the rest of these emails came out. Thousands so they found out about all this stuff on Friday, and over the yeah. weekend they didn't. They actually take yeah, action until exactly. Monday so, night. so apparently they they actually had sent all those uh, uh, emails to uh, to the Raiders. I think by Friday, I think it was when when they got them. Thursday or Friday is when when they got them, right? Right. Now then, the rest of the emails came out where basically. Um, you know, Gruden made homophobic and uh, misogynistic remarks, which included, and here's, he basically goes on the list and basically <laughs> hitting yeah, everything. It's all calling the least commissioner Roger Goodell a faggot and a clueless anti-football pussy. And once again, apologies for the language, but I think it's, it matters in this context. That Goodell should have not been pressured, uh, should not pressure Jeff Fisher, who was then the coach of the Rams, to draft queers, a reference to Michael Sam, a gay player chosen by the team in 2014. Which, which, of course, the irony here is that the Raiders have Carl Nassib, right, which is the first active NFL player to publicly declare that he is gay. By the way, that guy could ball, man. I was, it was, forgot what, what was, it was a Monday night game or forgot what it, what it was. Yeah. Yeah, that dude he's was. He's a solid defensive Yeah, player. he's a solid defensive player. Yeah. Um, he also said that Eric Reed, a player who had demonstrated during the playing of the national anthem, should be fired. Uh, he denounced the emergence of women's, uh, women as referees. And then send photos of women wearing only bikini bottoms, including one photo of two Washington team cheerleaders. Um, I think he also called at the time it was uh, um, uh, Biden as vice president. Also called him something, something yeah, pussy. I forgot pretty, what he said. Right? Brutal. Yeah, it was super brutal. Confused. 
Yeah, stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, all this came to light based on the emails mm. that surfaced from an NFL workplace misconduct investigation on the Washington football team, right? But as we're looking at the at the emails from the president. It's a lot of emails. So the first yeah, thing I thought was, was like, like, what like, are you guys doing? So emails, uh, 650,000 emails. I'm like. It's like eight eight or nine. I think it was like eight years, maybe seven or eight those, years of, yeah. of emails. Oh, yeah. It's a long time, right? Yeah. Now, according to the league, they say that they had shared the emails with the Raiders in which Gruden had made the derogatory comments. Um, which we know now that, you know, of course, Gruden is still coached this weekend's, you know, game versus the Bears, which the Raiders lost. Now, to all of this, Gruden said, when resigning, I have resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I love the Raiders and do not want to be a distraction. Thank you for all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Raider Nation. Raider Nation, I'm sorry I never meant to hurt anyone. Now, to which Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, later responded, I have accepted John Gruden's resignation as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. So courage or cringe, and frankly, I can go either way because do Gruden's resignation yeah. or the handling by owner of, of the Raiders. Well, so I, you, I think you, in terms you pick. in terms of his, both, I don't know. Yeah, I think in terms of his resignation, I'd have to go courage. Um, I think that you know, seemingly or whatever, being given the keys to the street, shown the door, however you want to explain it, but recognizing that you have to take an action in doing that. Um, is the right thing to do. And you it's saying important. courage on Gruden or courage on the owner of the Raiders? Uh, I mean, both? Uh, well, it, it, he w- he resigned technically. He yeah. offered his resignation, and I think that he should have offered his oh, resignation. Got it, got it. Yeah, so yeah. Mm-hmm. so I, would have to, I would have to say courage. Now, look, you know that, like, I don't curse. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, I don't. I don't like vulgarity. I don't use it. Um, and, and so that's my starting point for a mm-hmm. lot of this stuff. But to be honest, I was kind of surprised with how little there was here in a way, right? I was expecting like some cabal, uh, you know, with like reams of paragraphs of sinister talk about keeping certain groups down and machinations to avoid promoting people and whatever. There was none of that. There was a coach calling people a fag or a pussy and then a comment about um, somebody's lips being too big, which I understand is, can be a racial trope, right? But then you have to weigh that against all of the other evidence that's there, right? Which is, you know, years in the league, working with people of different races, promoting people of different races. And so, you know, the part that I struggled with was that the other stuff that was listed, um, it's unseemly, it's, I don't use it, it's unpolite, I don't... I can't defend any of it, right. but I'm saying I was expecting, you were expecting a lot more. more. So like, in your mind, based on the volume of what it was and was there, you don't think you should have resigned? No, I mean, I think that there, that's the other part of it, which is sort of see our deep dive on cancel culture is he has, <laughs> he has no, there's no hope. There's no hope for him. Even if he were to have said, let's just pretend, because I don't know, but let's pretend. If he said, this was 2011, I had a massive conversion in 2015, mm-hmm. whatever. I no longer believe in any of this stuff, and I've worked really hard since then for the last six years to do blah, blah, blah. It wouldn't have mattered anyway. He would have gotten fired too, or he would have resigned anyway. And that's my point is this, like, the, the finality of these things, the fact that there's no coming back, and nobody cares about this guy. They're never going to hire him again. He's never going to work again. And the people are okay with that. That's the part I'm not. That's the part I'm not okay with. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like just the just the throwing somebody into the the ash heap. And look, I don't know John Gruden from anybody. I'm just speaking to him as a, as like a human being. Right. Um, and then the the last thing that I would say is, look, <laughs> you know, 
there's a difference between racism and and doing like a jackass joke about somebody's you know physical characteristic okay in my opinion i think the word racism really means something and i think it's it's to our loss if we lose what that word actually means right mm-hmm. i've been I see in the email that at least the one that I that I read somebody definitely mocking somebody inappropriate inappropriately in a way that's completely unprofessional about their physical characteristics. I've been mocked for my physical characteristics, for being bald, for being short, for being bow-legged. All of them are true. None of them are nice. None of them are classy. None of them are professional. None of them are racists either. Right. And so but 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 I think the difference here is when you're making a comment like Michelin lips against someone that is black, something that has been a traditional, very documented, historical yeah. stereotype against black people, it's hard to say that it's simply just a physical... It's, it's, if you'd have called them short, it would have been like, oh, that's racist. Well, no. There's right. nothing that, that when people think of racist, uh, race, like uh, you know, someone that is black would necessarily be short. But yeah, when, I understand when you're talking that. about I understand that. the Michelin lips, I don't know how that doesn't, how there's at least some racism behind and that's, a comment like that. And I think, you know, therefore, see my first comment, which is 650,000 emails over seven years, and we've got this one sentence. I, I don't know, man. I just, I just, I really wish that there would have been like a lot more there. Look, I think he did the right thing, and I, and ultimately, um, you know, there's in in this environment, there's no ever coming back for a guy like him, which I think is yeah. a broader issue. But I honestly, when I saw the headline, I saw the racist, misogynist, and all this other stuff, I just expected a body of evidence to look at in the New York Times article, which is really scant in terms of detail. Um, and maybe that's there. Maybe it just hasn't come out. I don't know. But well, it was but, like... But I think it hit all the... There's definitely an example of racism. There's definitely an example of being homophobic. There's definitely an example of misogynistic. Now, to your point, should there be more? That's yeah. fair. That's fair. Yeah. I, honestly, I don't know when these different communications are relative to each other. Is this all within a, you know, a two-week period that happened 10 years ago, right? Like, right. that matters whether these are all interspersed sure. between, you know, the seven years worth of data. That's all fair, right? I think what's really cha- what's really interesting. Look, I I struggled a little bit with this on the case because I'm a big fan of of um, Gruden. I'm a big Raiders fan, right? Yeah. I grew up with. with one, a, sorry, just one one last point though. One last uh-huh. point because I forgot to mention it. Because you joked with me earlier in the setup for this show. What? Oh, is that how you would do it from your email letterhead or whatever? These were all sent from his personal email. I don't know if that makes a difference in your thinking. I didn't mention it in my oh, calculus. I, yeah, that I didn't know. I, I didn't realize. He sent it I, from his personal one. The people he was sending to were, were on their were work ones. Who, yeah. who sends the kind of stuff over email? Like, I, there I was so know. much about this that I, I was like, I don't know. dude. So so I would say, like, just to give a little yeah. background, a little colorful yeah. background yeah. about my Raider fandom, okay? When I was, uh, when, my, when my sister, who's, um, who's, who's older than me, was a higher quinceañera, right? They was, we were at the time we were living in uh, my dad's hometown in Mexico Hall, Hikilpan. And, you know, we have family over and, and everyone's going to go to the church. So my mom would like pulls out my clothes and like, get ready and just get dressed and then come with your brother and meet us at church, right? Mm-hmm. So I get this gray slacks, real fancy pants, you know? And I see the, the I think it was like a white shirt. And I'm like, I don't want to wear that. So I pull out <laughs> my Raiders shirt. Nice. So I'm, I'm wearing a Raiders white. It's like, the, you know, like the one that got like, like, sure. those mid sleeves. For the right? quinceañera too. Yeah. yeah. Lovely. So it is black and gray with gray pants. It's cool. It looks like I literally like did it on purpose. All of the pictures of my sister's quinceañera, I'm wearing the same outfit because there was no time for me to go back. There was no other shirt. It's the funniest thing, but it was like, yeah, that kid was a Raiders fan because 
So my sister Xenia, I had I had uh, the Raider Raider outfit. So look with uh, you know with Gruden, I I definitely I struggled to to see the how quickly he was undone. Right, I I do I do think though that if it had been just the Michelin lips um, comment that he may have survived it. Oh, it's uh, funny. I think the exact opposite. I think that's the only reason why he didn't is not here. I think if it would have been all the other ones minus that one, he probably still would be here. I, I don't think so. Here, here's why uh, I would say that is that. Well, I think there's that, and also how he handled it. Like, I I put a lot of the blame of how Gruden handled it. My concern when he made this kind of comment is that you can say he used a, a you know a bad way to describe him. But he made it that it was just about an issue that he had with with Smith, right, with the with the NFLPA director. But the reality is, when you think about the number of African American players that are in the league that play for him, and we use that kind of language, what I never heard when this first thing came out is him addressing his players directly, privately. Maybe he did, but definitely publicly, and saying, "Hey guys, I made a comment that was like a stupid comment to make." Like. Like, I do not, like, believe in that. I don't want anyone to think that in back of my mind I'm saying something and, and then I'm thinking of, like, these, like, kind of racial issues, whatever. But, like, apologizing to his players, to anyone, because he wasn't just offending, you know, Mr. Smith. He was offending every single African-American player in the league. And people have to play for you. They have to believe in you. It's like I, I use the same kind of example as I was thinking about this one that I that I was thinking for the case of um, of Dave Chappelle, Right. That if, let's assume it wasn't football, this was baseball instead, instead, okay? Just because you have a lot more Latino players. But if a coach went in there and said, yeah, this beaner, this, Mex- this you know, wetback, and he made that comment 10 years ago. And then this came out. And then when he talked about it, he simply said, I shouldn't have said that. And only does it in the context of the person he was trying to offend and doesn't ever address it with all of the other Latino players that play for him right now. I think that's fair. That's a problem. Like, dude. Like, that's what you need to apologize So you more. think on like, Friday, if he would have gotten ahead of it, Saturday had a press conference or addressed the entire that's, team that's publicly and the, said, hey, that's listen. That's why I think that comment could have, I think he could have survived it if he owned it. Because there is a point of like, yeah, but this also happened 10 years ago. And I wasn't a coach. And I was, you know, it was my buddy. And, and we were, you know, it was just a, a stupid thing that I shouldn't have said. Okay. But, I think he could have survived that. But right? then but then you think there's enough weight in the remaining ones to have still sunk him. Though. I think it's a combination of things because now you're not talking about a single incident. Now you're talking about a pattern. About how this guy talks about people, yeah. how what he thinks. I discount everything he said about Goodell and Biden. I don't even that doesn't even hit my screen. But but because but, but, those but, are just insults and you pick the worst but, way but to insult say, someone. Yeah, but but there, he definitely there is at least a hint. Oh when there's smoke, there's fire. There's at least a hint of him being homophobic because when that's what you pick as the insults and you specifically are very offended by or that you're, you're upset about the league forcing another coach to draft a queer and your own player just came out. And the first thing, same, same example here, and that was him saying about somebody else, about someone who's being Latino, and you're not going to address the, the own player in your own team. Well, the way that you can— How do you expect that player to well, play Well, you for can't you? in the way that you just, prescri- you just described it, but we don't know the chronology of these statements, though. We don't know the dates of when this stuff happened. He could have called Goodell something well, in one year and yeah, said yeah, the other comment in two years later. You're right, but, but that's where the pattern, unfortunately, to me, it still becomes yeah. a pattern, right? When you use that kind of language. And there, that, that thing about drafting queers, that is— like he should have come out super strong <clears throat> and addressed that. Mm-hmm. Your own player, like, how do you think that player feels? You know, you always ask the question: How does that person feel after the of course? Fight? That player feels terrible. He never addressed it, of course. And never even come up. And then his the way that he quit, frankly, was like horrible. I don't want to be a distraction. You make no acknowledgement of what you said. You make no acknowledgement about it's not whoever I hurt. You hurt a guy that plays for you right now. Mm-hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. You heard all the other African American <coughs> players who play for you right now. You have no nothing to say to them publicly. Maybe say it privately. Okay, that's fine. But if you wanted to like rebuild your or have any yeah, kind of shot of coming back, I agree. You make no mention of that whatsoever. I agree that he could the, have definitely done it from an optics the, and PR standpoint, by the way, a very the or- different way, and hopefully it would be authentic when he did it. The owner of the Raiders simply said, "I accept." That's all you have to say, jackass. Your only response is, "I accept." That dude's probably been CC'd on every one of these like, emails, and it's going to come out five years from now. You think you should come out and say, "Look, that the I next fired thing, him? the next thing that people they're going to go after the guys who are on the email string." That's the next sure, thing that's going to happen. But I'm saying, if you're if you're Mark Davis, wouldn't you want? Just think about that. If you're the owner of the, of the team, Charlie, and you want to have a team that still wants to play for you as a team for the rest of the season, wouldn't you come out and say, "Hey guys, I looked at it. I fired. I fired John Gruden, and here's why." Like, wouldn't that be a strong statement to say about what you believe? It would, but if it but it matters well, if it's true. But you're, if it's not true, well, yeah. Well, your only public comment is is I accept accepted the, the resignation. resignation. Yeah, this whole thing is yeah, like I, I, I have I, a really hard time I, with it. I, I so uh, I think so, he took no responsibility whatsoever. But are, so are you courage on his resignation or you're cringe on I'm his cringe, resignation? Yeah, I'm cringe on the resignation. But because of, resi- because of how, how he, he resigned, it, how he did it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So. I also think that the the head coach. I'm sorry that the that Mark should have fired him. Yeah. I think he should have he should have got got on Friday, not let him coach on 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 Sunday, fired him on the spot. I still have a big problem. Yes, like, of course. I still have a big problem, despite the fact that I understand why he doesn't work there anymore, and I don't support or defend any of the comments that he made. Um, and I don't use this kind of language myself, but I still it really bothers me that we just throw people away. Yeah, it really bothers me. I understand that. I understand that. Uh, but I also think people need to also show some level of remorse, some I, level of wanting to change. And I don't see that at all in any of this. And what I'm saying, again, he very, literally that doesn't even acknowledge I, the fact that he sent this email. I'm being very it. pessimistic, but he, even if he had done that, I don't see any different results. Sure. So I don't see yeah, why it, you can say it matters. You know what I'm saying? In a well, way. Yeah, but, it matters morally to me, it does. But yeah, I'm saying practically, it kind of doesn't matter. You're probably right. Maybe practically it wouldn't matter. But I think for him and his own brand and for his own legacy, it would matter for him. And hopefully maybe it takes a few weeks and he comes back and, and does a, an interview I really hope that he comes out and actually like speaks to the fact that, and that he actually talks to some of these players, like the the the, the player, the defensive lineman on the team, that he calls them and say, "Hey, man, I, let's just you and I talk." Mm-hmm. Like, and we don't know if he hasn't done maybe, that. Maybe, maybe, uh, but but I think there is importance to say this both privately and publicly because it's also a guy who is an active player who's openly gay who needs to feel supported by his team, especially his team, because you know when he's playing, people are giving him a hard time. And they're harassing him. And the dude can still ball, man. That guy could play. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to lose that guy because you can't even publicly admit it. See what I'm saying? Like, and at the end of the day, when you're, when you're a coach football team, which people are literally putting their lives at risk, sure. their health for sure, like, they need to feel like your coach has their back. Yeah. And I think he didn't do that from the first comment. Mm-hmm. And that's what I had issue. I have issue with the way he handled it mostly. mostly. Yeah, I do. Although I would, you know, I know this isn't the game, but I would also give a cringe to the New York Times as well. I think that article, this, it's, it's one of these articles that had a ton of evidence behind it, but the articulation of the evidence was very poor. And I think that I hope there's like a whole bunch of other stuff coming up on that because it, it was like literally, it was like a social post, but the headline read like Watergate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just, it did not match. So. Yeah. No, I get that. Anyway. All right. Is that it? Yeah. So we could not have disagreed more today. That's great. <laughs> I think we disagreed with all of them, right? <laughs> well, we, we actually you know, agreed. We, we actually did. We, we, agree, we, agree, we agreed on the last one just for very different reasons, apparently. <laughs> no, I was cringe. I was cringe. You were courage. 
Oh yeah, we, we no, just, even on that one we disagree. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Can we get you, that I last one right? <laughs> I thought I thought you would be courage that he resigned, but apparently you found problem with how he did it. Yeah, very hard audience. You're indeed, tough. You're a tough crowd. You're a tough crowd. Difficult today. All right. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, my cousins are not going to be happy with me. You're, they're not. My cousin Julian, he was already texting me before saying and about by, this. And by the way, when you had your uh, quinceanera Raiders, that was not the Las Vegas Raiders. It wasn't even the Oakland Raiders. That was the LA Raiders, wasn't it? Was it? The LA Raiders, yeah. That's yeah, right. yeah, for sure. By the way, the and, and I, was, uh, I was laughing about this. So my cousin Juan, who you know as of course. well. I was telling him today that he reminds me so much of Keyshawn Johnson. Really? <laughs> I don't know what it is, I don't is, see man. the resemblance. Not at all. No, but it's, the, it's not the resemblance. It's the, right? it's the charisma. The, it's the, the mannerism, the way he talks. The, yeah. You know, Juan's actually a pretty good receiver back in the day, right? Like in high school, he's a pretty good athlete back in the day. Uh, and maybe it's all these different factors, but when he talks, it just reminds me so much of Juan. And I've been hearing a lot of Keyshawn because he was very, very vocal very about animated. his thoughts about, about uh, John Gruden. Yeah, so it was Booger McFarlane yesterday on, on Monday Night Football. But uh, anyway, well, look, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully uh, there is redemption that's possible and um, and people can you know make peace with this. But it doesn't look good at this moment. All right, um, big announcement next week. We'll preview it. We've been talking about it for a while, but we'll be sharing next week um, where this show is going to be going. We'll give you that uh, that update then. If you've got nothing else, Jesus, we'll just uh, wrap up the show then. Wrap it up. All right, everybody, enjoy yourself. See us again next time on TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez, with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza, and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.